0: Hey listeners, David Avalone here with a public service announcement. Given the choices made recently by the top brass at Spotify, we have no choice but to remove this podcast from that service for now. It's a time-consuming process, but if you listen through Spotify, it's likely this will be the last episode on their platform. The good news is we're available on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and directly from the Pendant Audio website. All free, all easy to access, and so much better than drinking your own pee. Thanks for listening, and now on to the show. Hello, and welcome to episode 50-something of Pulp Today. Audio listeners will enjoy uh, a brief pause while I take a drink. Drinking straight Stoli on the rocks. uh, I was going to have some red wine, but uh, this book's a little too hard-boiled for red wine. Today we are reading from This Gun for Hire by Graham Greene. Originally published in 36 in England as A Gun for Sale. Maybe that's a snappy title in uh, England. Uh, This Gun for Hire seems like a better title to me. That may just be familiarity. It's funny, I've been doing over 50 episodes of the show and there are a few authors that I just absolutely love that I haven't even gotten around to yet. And uh, Graham Greene would be at the top of that very short list. I could do a half dozen episodes about books of his that I just absolutely love. He had a funny thing. He uh, he broke his work into two distinct, uh, two distinct genres. His entertainments, which were usually thrillers and crime novels, and his novels, which were very, very serious. In an earlier episode, I talked about how Philip K. Dick also did that. He wrote what he considered to be cheesy science fiction books and serious adult novels, and his serious adult novels are actually pretty ter- terrible, and it's only when he starts to combine the two that he becomes a truly great writer. Green didn't have that issue, but his entertainments are very are pretty serious stuff, and his serious novels are, are pretty entertaining. So uh, I think by the end of his career, he had also demolished that... Well, unnecessary wall between the two things. And maybe that's the entire project I'm doing here is, you know, talking about demolishing that wall between writing what you think is an entertainment and writing what you think is a serious novel. But uh, this gun for hire takes place in England. I should say a gun for sale takes place in England. The main character is Raven, a hired assassin who in the first scene knocks off uh, who a character who is later revealed to be maybe the Czech Minister of War. Maybe he's been hired to trigger uh, as yet still fictional Second World War. And he's basically set up to be arrested. The man who pays him to do the job gives him stolen notes so that he will be picked up if he tries to pass any of them. Uh, thus ending the trail uh that leads to whoever paid for the assassination. Raven is a troubled character. He's presented as having um, a lot of self-hatred and self-image issues owing to the fact that he has a hair lip and his lifelong belief in his own ugliness has led to him being ostracized by society and who knows maybe he has been ostracized by society and this is what makes him a killer, cold, remorseless, whatever. In the course of his escape He uses a uh, young woman as a human shield and hostage, a showgirl, a very vivacious woman, very well played. Uh, If you read it, knowing it's going to be played by Veronica Lake in the future, it it seems written for her. Uh, She fits the character beautifully. But she's pretty sure he's going to kill her, and she's trying desperately to make some kind of contact with him and humanize herself so that he won't be able to do it and being a showgirl, she sings him a little song while they're in a hideout, and he's covering her with a semi-automatic pistol. He said, I've heard that tune. He couldn't remember where. He remembered a dark night and a cold wind and hunger and the scratch of a needle. It was as if something sharp and cold were breaking in his heart with great pain. He sat there under the sink with the automatic in his hand and began to cry. He made no sound, the tears seemed to run like flies of their own will from the corners of his eyes. Anne didn't notice for a while, humming the song. They say that's a snow flower a man brought from Greenland. Then she saw. She said, what's the matter? Raven said, keep back against that wall or I'll shoot. You're all in. That doesn't matter to you. Well, I suppose I'm human, Anne said. You haven't done me any harm yet. He said, this doesn't mean anything. I'm just tired. He looked along the bare, dusty boards of the unfinished kitchen. He tried to swagger. I'm tired of living in hotels. I'd like to fix up this kitchen. I learned to be an electrician once. I'm educated, he said. Sleepy Nook. It's a good name when you're tired. But they've gone and spelled Nook wrong. Let me go, Anne said. You can trust me. I'll not say a thing. I don't even know who you are. He laughed miserably. Trust you. I'd say I can. "'When you get into town, you'll see my name in the papers and my description, "'what I'm wearing, how old I am. "'I never stole the notes, but I can put a description on the man I want. Name: Shalmondele, profession double-crosser, fat, wears an emerald ring.' "'Why?' she said. "'I believe I traveled down with a man like that. "'I wouldn't have thought he'd have the nerve.' "'Oh, he's only the agent,' Raven said. "'If I could find him, I'd squeeze the names.' "'Why don't you give yourself up? "'Tell the police what happened.' That's a great idea, that is. Tell them it was Chamondole's friends got the old check killed. You're a bright girl. The old check, she exclaimed. A little more light came into the kitchen as the fog lifted over the housing estate, the wounded fields. She said, You don't mean what the papers are so full of. That's it, he said with gloomy pride. You know the man who shot him? As well as myself. And Chamondelet's mixed up in it? Doesn't that mean... "'That everyone's all wrong? "'They don't know a thing about it, these papers. "'They can't give credit where credit's due. "'And you know, and there, "'then there won't be a war at all if you find him?' "'I don't care a damn whether there's a war or not. "'I only want to know who it is double-crossed me. "'I want to get even,' he explained, "'looking at her across the floor with his hand over his mouth, "'hiding his lip, noticing she was young and flushed and lovely "'with no more personal interest than a mangy, "'wolf will show from the cage.' in the groomed, well-fed bitch beyond the bars. A war won't do people any harm, he said. It'll show them what's what. It'll give them a taste of their own medicine. I know. There's always been a war for me, he touched the automatic. All that worries me is what to do to keep you quiet for 24 hours, she said under her breath. You wouldn't kill me, would you? If it's the only way, he said, let me think a bit. But I'd be on your side, she implored him, looking this way and that for anything to throw, for a chance of safety. Nobody's on my side, Raven said. I've learned that. Even a crooked duck... You see, I'm ugly. I don't pretend to be one of your handsome fellows, but I'm educated. I've thought things out, he said quickly. I'm wasting time. I ought to get started. What are you going to do, she said, scrambling to her feet. Oh, he said in a tone of disappointment. You're scared again. "'You were fine when you weren't scared.' He faced her across the kitchen with the automatic pointed at her breast. He pleaded with her. "'There's no need to be scared. This lip—' "'I don't mind your lip,' she said desperately. "'You aren't bad-looking. You ought to have a girl. She'd stop you worrying about that lip.' He shook his head. "'You're talking that way because you're scared. "'You can't get round me that way. "'But it's hard luck on you, my picking on you. "'You shouldn't be so afraid of death. We've all got to die.' If there's a war you'll die anyway it's sudden and quick it doesn't hurt he said remembering the smashed skull of the old man death was like that no more difficult than breaking an egg she whispered are you going to shoot me oh no no he said trying to calm her turn your back and go over to that door we'll find a room where i can lock you up for a few hours he fixed his eyes on her back he wanted to shoot her clean he didn't want to hurt her She said, "'You aren't so bad. We might have been friends if we hadn't met like this, if this was the stage door. Do you meet girls at stage doors? Me?' he said. "'No, they wouldn't look at me.' "'You aren't ugly,' she said. "'I'd rather you had that lip than a cauliflower ear like those fellows who think they're tough. The girls go crazy on them when they're in shorts, but they look silly in a dinner jacket.' Raven thought, "'If I shoot her here, anyone may see through a window. I'll shoot her upstairs in the bathroom.' He said, go on, walk. She said, let me go this afternoon, please. I'll lose my job if I'm not at the theater. They came out into the little glossy hall, which smelt of paint. She said, I'll give you a seat for the show. Go on, he said, up the stairs. It's worth seeing. Alfred Bleak as the widow Twanky. There were only three doors on the little landing. One had ground glass panes. Open the door and go in there. He decided that he would shoot her in the back as soon as she was over the threshold. He would only have to close the door and she would be out of sight. A small aged voice whispered agonizingly in his memory through a closed door. Memories had never troubled him. He didn't mind death. It was foolish to be scared of death in this bare, wintry world. He said hoarsely, Are you happy? I mean, do you like your job? Oh, not the job, she said, but the job won't go on forever. Don't you think someone might marry me? I'm hoping. He whispered, go in. Look through that window, his finger touching the trigger. She went obediently forward. He brought the automatic up. His hand didn't tremble. He told himself that she would feel nothing. Death wasn't a thing she needed to be scared about. She had taken her handbag from under her arm. He noticed the odd, sophisticated shape, a circle of twisted glass on the side, and with it chromium initials, AC. She was going to make her face up. And you'll have to read the book to find out what happens next. Or you could you could cheat and see the Alan Ladd movie. I wanted to talk about the Alan Ladd movie because it's a very interesting thing to me. So much is made, as you can hear in the book, about... Raven's hair lip and his ugliness. And when they make the movie in 1942, he's played by Alan Ladd at the height of his youth and beauty. I think they give him some, it's been a while since I've seen it, I think they give him some backstory where he's got a mangled hand. But that's very different, I think, from, uh, from what Green is trying to do with the ugliness. That said, how much of a difference does it make it's not like all killers are ugly. It's not like all killers have some form of physical deformity that has ruined their lives. That's a a very... that seems like uh, letting a lot of humanity off the hook for evil deeds if that's what it takes to make a killer. That's not what it takes to make a killer. And, you know, at the risk of getting too personal, <laughs> when I was a kid, my... My peers absolutely convinced me I was not good looking, absolutely 100%. I mean, I didn't think I was bad looking. I looked in the mirror and thought I had a perfectly nice face. But man, you get treated a certain way at a certain age, it is hard to talk yourself out of it. It is hard to recover from it. Uh, I'm a recovering ugly kid. So it sort of doesn't bother me that it's Alan Ladd and his beautiful face that thinks society doesn't love him uh, because it's ultimately more complex than that. But I recommend the book. I recommend pretty much any Graham Greene. His worst-reviewed book is still absolutely, absolutely worth your time. I recommend the Alan Ladd movie. Uh, It's a fairly undistinguished director. It's basing on his name Tuttle, I think. Didn't really do anything. Ironically, he made the first version of The Glass Key, which we will someday talk about. And then, because of this movie, The Glass Key was remade just a few years later with Alan Ladd, who was better in the part of Ned Beaumont than uh, George Raft was in the first version. Anyway, that's it. Read A Gun for Sale slash This Gun for Hire. Find out what happened to poor Anne in that deserted house in Norwich. Oh, and one one side note. When I read that piece, I kept saying Shomondale. Now, of course, the British would pronounce that name Chumley, and that is pointed out in the book, but Raven pronounces it Shomondale. And even though in that scene Anne is probably pronouncing it Chumley, I thought it would be way too confusing if I went back and forth between the two pronunciations of the name and it sounded like I was talking about two different people. Uh, There's a little thing. There's a little American-British pronunciation thing for you. Uh, Have a lovely rest of your day and thanks for listening. For more information, visit PendantAudio.com. Thanks for listening.